Welcome everyone to uh, share, going through the structure, meaning of Parshat Tetzave. Now, this really, to some degree, dovetails with what we spoke about last week in Truma. These two together, of course, are the sections of the Torah that deal with the original instruction to build a Mishkan, to build a home for God's presence in the world. And last week, you pointed out that if you ask most people, they'll say, broadly speaking, Truma is, is where the original instruction is given. Everyone should just voluntarily give things. And then the description of all the physical objects that need to go inside this Mishkan to build a home for God. And Tetzavah is all about the coin and the priests who are going to serve there. It's going to be Aaron and his sons. They're going to, the clothing they've got to wear, and then the whole ceremony that inaugurates them. However, that doesn't quite work. It, it's not a bad division. Uh, it's mostly true. But just to understand some of the problems with that are, well, the main problem is that one of the most important vessels inside the Mishkan, inside the home of God, of God's presence, is actually the um, mini altar that was designed for the incense, the incense altar. And that's only given to us right at the end of Tzitzava. So last week we had the Oren, the Holy Ark. We had the menorah, the candelabra that's going to be inside the main structure. We had the shulchan, the table with the showbread. And Missing from there is, a th is the third of the key elements outside of where the Ark, outside of the Holy of Holies, which is the Mizbeach HaKetoros, the altar for the incense. And then we had everything else, the structures, the walls, the things, even the altar, the Mizbeach that's outside. We had everything, but we did not have, we're missing this really, really important piece. And it's given to us literally only the end this week. It's like almost like, a, oh, we forgot, nearly forgot this. You know, but hey, clearly that's not what's going on. So what is going on? Why is the Ketoros being left uh, till the end. By the way, the other interesting thing that goes is that at the beginning of this week's Torah reading, the first thing that we speak about is Tetzavas B'nai Yisrael, command the, the children of Israel, Lecha, they should take Shemen Zayisach, they should take pure olive oil, right? That it should be in order to be able to light the menorah. Why didn't we have this instruction when we mentioned building the menorah? If it's appropriate to here and now, then why do we leave it? We discuss the menorah, we discuss the structure. Now we say, oh, by the way, bring olive oil so you can actually light the menorah. And, uh, and then amazingly enough, so, well, let's leave these questions to ponder for the moment. I'll get to amazingly enough in the moment. So on the one hand, it should be introducing the Kohan and the priest, but instead you have two extra elements, one at the beginning of the sedra, the olive oil, and in fact, then the description of every day lighting the menorah. And the other is the incense, the Mizbecha Ketoros, both of which bracket the kuhuna, the, the, the selection of the priests. The other problem, conceptually with the Sedra, um, as we'll see, is who are the Kohanim? Who are the priests? So it's clearly described as Aharon and his sons. And in fact, to this day, they are the Kohanim, right? They're, they're the, they do, well, if, when the base of Hashem will be rebuilt, they'll be the ones serving in that. But there's only a major a problem, right? is that were they even selected at this point? You see, there's a machlokas, there's a debate whether the Torah is given in chronological order. Let's go with the Ramban, with Nachmanides, who says it is. According to the Ramban, we're in chronological order. So last week and this week are the instructions to uh, construct this Mishkan, this home for God. Next week, we're going to read about the golden calf, the Egel Azav, as a result of which the people who are meant to be the Kohanim, meant to be the priests, meant to be doing the service in the, in, the, in the Mishkan, are going to lose their role. That was the firstborns, right? From the, from the plague of the firstborn in Egypt, all the, all the Jewish, all the Israelite firstborns were saved. They were meant to be the Kohanim. They were meant to be God's priests. 
right? Or at least do all the service in the in the Mishkan, in the home of God of God's presence. And so, and they lose that when the Jewish people, including them, serve the golden calf. And instead, the tribe of Levi, which didn't do it, becomes selected. And the Rambam then describes that within Levi, the Kohanim are selected, right? That's so, but that means they haven't been selected yet. According to the Ramban, according to Nachmanides, the Kohanim have not been selected, right? At the moment, it's meant to be all the firstborns. So, what's going on? Now, you'll say, okay, so with Rashi, it's much easier because he said the Torah is not really in chronological order. And what happened is, first of all, came the golden calf, the Egel Azav. Then came the whole process of redemption. Then they got the tablets again, the Luchos, the Ten Commandments again on Yom Kippur. And only after that did they instruct building, building this Mishka on the home of God. And by then the Kohenim were chosen. Okay. But even according to Rashi, right, so just to recap, so according to Ramban, according to Nachmanides, we're being told here that the Kohenim are meant to serve before they've been, at this stage is meant to be the firstborns. But even according to Rashi, who says, no, chronologically, this event happens um, after the golden calf. In other words, by this point, by the point that this was really instructed, the Kohenim that had already potentially been chosen. Even according to Rashi, there's still a problem. Because when was Aaron chosen? So you and I would say, according to Rashi, after the golden calf. But if you look at Rashi himself, several weeks ago, when we read Shemais, right at the beginning of the book of Exodus, when Moshe Rabbeinu was standing, arguing with God and discussing, should he go, shouldn't he go? Is he the right person? Is he the wrong person? At the end of all of it, he says, Shlach no tishlach, right? In this is in chapter 4, Pasuk 13, Dalad Yud Gimel, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Shlach no, send with the one you normally send. Hashem Moshe. Hashem got upset with Moshe. Vayoyma, as it were. Vayoyma, he says, I know you're referring to Aaron, your brother from the tribe of Levi, right? He's got that special role. I know that he will surely speak. You meant him, didn't you? You meant he's been the senior, one of the great prophets and leaders or whatever it is, spiritual giants of the people. You've been sitting in the palace. Okay, don't worry. He'll be there. And I know you're nervous, he'll be jealous of you. But he's coming to meet you. He will see you and he will rejoice in his heart. He's not going to be jealous that his younger brother's getting promotion. He'll be joyful for you. Says Rashi. Don't, not like you think that he'll be jealous or bothered. That you're rising to greatness. Um, Umishaman, because Aaron was not jealous, because his heart not only wasn't jealous, but actually rejoiced at the success of the other. Therefore, he bzoch Aaron, Aaron merited to get the breastplate that is on his heart. So that means that Aaron has already been selected at this point, right? Even according to whether you go with the Ramban, whether you go with Rashi, Aaron is chosen before the golden calf, before the tribe of Levi is given a special role, and within them, the, the sons of Aaron as a kind. So there's something problematic about this selection of Aaron. And I heard an incredible answer. This got this is so exciting. Um, many years ago, I used to go when I was in the old city to Shirim of Rabbi Weinberg. He, he one of the one of the uh, Rabbi Weinberg, he used to give a shir in, in the Old City. Um, and he said an amazing thing. And, and since then, it's been like really eye-opening. I haven't yet seen it anywhere else, but it makes so much sense. He says this, at this stage, Aaron was always going to have this role. But what did Rashi just say? He, I don't think he said this, but we can listen carefully. Rashi said he merits to wear the breastplate. He didn't say he's going to be the full-blown coin. Because the word coin to us has two different roles. 
in the Mishkan, as the roles described this week, which involve wearing all the ceremonial clothes, involves lighting the menorah, and involves the incense, the Mizbeach Akateras, which is why they're all together this week. But there might have been a different role, a different type of kuhuna, a different type of priesthood, and that was offering the sacrifices. The sacrificial service was going to be done by the firstborns. So, in other words, what we have over here is two roles. This week's Sedra is not about who's going to do the sacrificial service. That's going to come, that this stage should have been the firstborns, at least according to Ramban, Nachmanides. And even according to Rashi, when, when Aaron was given that, the firstborns were still going to do the service. Later with the golden calf, they lose it, and now Aaron and his sons get everything. But at this stage, the role for Aaron and his sons is to light the menorah, wear the breastplate, and light, the, do the incense. Why? What's going on? And the answer all of these things have in common is this is about Hashra's Hashchina, bringing the presence of God into the world. You know, if you remember last week, I said the division between the two sedras, between last week's and this week's, is that Truma is building the, if you like, the hardware. It's building the vessels. Tetzava this week is about how do you actually switch the electricity on? How do you get the presence of God to be flowing alive inside this place? And amazingly, an unbelievable clue about this is that there's a word introduced that dominates this week that wasn't really there much last week. And that is the word last week we read about a mikdosh, a place of holiness, and mishkan, a place of house for God's presence. Mikdosh is, if you like, that which makes the people holy. So you come in there to become holy. And a mishkan is literally shaykhain. It's the presence, the dwelling place, the home of God's presence. But this week, right from the word go, we discover a new word, oihel mayed, the tent of meeting. Here, this is where there's going to be an encounter between man and God. Not just a place that is holy where you become elevated by going in. Not just a place where God's presence itself resides, but actually the place where man and God meet. It becomes a relationship. It becomes an encounter. It becomes, this is what it is. It's the home of the relationship. Moed. Moed literally means a meeting point. That's what it is. And if we take a look carefully, we'll see some really, really beautiful things, right, as we go through. So, especially because we always read Tetzaveh in the run-up towards Purim, right? And, uh, and amazingly enough, one of the first things we read about in the Purim story, in, in the way the Gemara depicts it, is that Ahasuerus, who was the king of, of the Forum story, the king of Persia, holds a party in the beginning. And part of the reason he holds the party is he's trying to express the confidence he has in the security of his kingship. By the way, Ahasuerus, you will see in the first six chapters of, of Megillah Sesta, every time we read about a state of mind of Ahasuerus, it is prefixed ka, like. It's like he's sitting comfortably on his throne. He's not comfortable on his throne. And the Gemara explains why. Right? And the Medrash points this out, this ka prefix. If you need to read it on a simple level, you'll say like Rashi, it means when, when he was sitting on his throne. But, but this is quite an unusual thing, unusual literary device. And the Medrash points it out, the Medrash on, on Megillah Sesta. It's like his heart was good with wine. He wasn't happy, but he's pretending. He's an incredibly insecure person, always pretending, always pretending. It's like he's calmed down. He's not calmed down, etc., etc., etc. Until later on, when he eventually becomes authentic, that's a whole different discussion. 
But in that opening party where he has deep insecurity and amongst his insecurities is he knows there's a place that's been the home of God in the world, in just a part of his empire in Yerushalayim, right? Not too far away. And, uh, and he's got this deep insecurity, right? That maybe this is going to be rebuilt again. And will it undermine the role of him? Will it undermine what he's trying to build? Shushan Habira, the great capital city. The only two places in Nach called Bira. Shushan, he's trying to build, and the place of the Beis HaMikdash, Yerushalayim. Those are the two. So you see, he's trying to build a rival, and he's, he shows the, that that's exactly what he does, that he has the Kalim, the Kalim, Shalim, he takes out all the temple vessels. He's confident because he believes the old 70-year prophecy has failed. And what does he show this? He has this massive party, six months long, and then a seven-day drinking fest for everyone in Shushan, trying to get them to like him to show the wealth of the uh, covered, the honor of his kingship and the preciousness of Tiferes, of the grandeur or glory or whatever is that, however you translate it, or beauty um, of his greatness. Covered or Tiferes. And what does it say at the beginning of this week, Sedra? That one of the purpose of the big day Kuhuna wearing the Kayan's clothing, the breastplate and everything is the same two words. In other words, Ahasuerus was an imposter pretending to be, trying to play the role of the high priest of the Kohen Gadol, right? And this gives us a deep insight into what the role of the Kohen Gadol was. What was Ahasuerus doing? And that's why the Gemara says he was wearing the clothes of the Kohen Gadol, right? And he was trying to do lasso's kitsoin ishvish to try to please everybody. Oh, that sounds a bit like Aaron. Aaron was what? Oyev shalom, roidev shalom, pursuing peace, loving peace. Yeah, but there's a key difference. It's like he's feeling good. Aharon got the Kuruna because he has real joy in his heart. There's nothing fake with Aharon. It's absolutely real. And everything about Ahasuerus is total fake. You see, the the joy in his heart, the rejoicing that is Aaron, right? We say that the Shechina, God's presence itself, cannot dwell inside the inside anywhere right so you cannot have it unless it's besimcha it's got to be it's got to be in a place of tremendous it's got to be in genuine joy right that um right that's the gemara b'sochim in daf kufiyot zayin amadalaf says it right and there's uh, this idea that the that in other words, the simcha that defines Aaron is the thing that creates Ashras Ashkenar, shows you that what's Aaron doing? He's creating his joy, is creating the presence of God. But what was his joy? His joy was that whereas somebody else would have been jealous, right? Whereas, whereas anyone else would have been jealous, he has joy. Let's understand this deeply because this is going to express to us so much of what's going on in all of this. You see, we saw the Mishkan, the building the home of God is something that requires the entire people. They shall make for me this place so I can dwell in them. And we saw that uh, there's the, 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 some of the Rishonim who say, uh, Rabbein Ephraim, Alatayra says, and, and Rabbein Ephraim brings it, that and the real home of God is the people, but not each individual. It's the collective. Each individual can't really be the full home of God. You can't have the full dwelling of the Shekhinah of God's presence in one individual, right? The Mishnah, the Mishnah in Perkei Ovis says as follows, just give me one sec. Sorry. The Mishnah in Perkei Ovis, leaning over with a broken leg, it's, you know, but uh, God, it's here, right? Just, just listen to this amazing thing. 
that uh, the Mishnah in Perak Yalva says the following, that um, in the third chapter, Rav Chalafta ben Doisa, Ishkar Hananya says, Asara Shiyashim Eskimatar Shechina Imayim. They name, sorry. If 10 people are sitting together studying Torah, there's a sh- the Shechina, God's presence is there. It says, like, in its Abad Asel, right? That uh, God's presence comes into the congregation of God. How do you not feel if even five? Agudah Salarit is because an Agudah is called five people, right? It's, uh, right. okay, fine. So you see, it's uh, there too. How do you know even three? But God himself will enter where there's three judges. Two, God himself listens in when two speak. And how do you know even one? So why do we need 10? The Shechina with one, of course, is with 10. The answer, obviously, they're different levels, right? When there's just one, so Hashem comes to give a bracha. That's what it says. I'll come and give you a bracha. When it's two, already it's like Hashem is listening. That's whatever listening means with Hashem, but it means there's a greater focus on, on the two. When it comes to three, he joins in their judgment. He actually inspires them to come up with the right insight and understanding and so on. The higher you go, when you get all the way up to 10, then you have Elakim Nitzav. God's presence is now fully established with them. In, right? There's a total. So Shekhinah needs multiple people. Right when there's when there's le- the less there are, the less of God's presence there is. Achashverosh wants to please everybody, but in the end, it's only so that they're like him. There's only one individual account, him. He's the most deeply insecure man in the whole story. He's petrified, says the Gemara of Esther, because she won't say who she is. He's jealous. He's scared of Haman. He's he's he's, he's jealous of everybody. He's deeply insecure. The insecure person who needs everyone to like each other so their realm works or needs everybody to like him, right, is exactly the opposite of the Shekhinah. There's no God's presence over there. Aaron's the opposite. You see, all the way through the book of Beratius is one, all the book of Genesis is one story after another of the younger brother being chosen over the older brother. Hevel instead of Cain, right? Avram instead of his older brothers. Yitzhak instead of Yishmael. Yaakov instead of Esau. Yosef instead of his brothers, all the time. And in every case of those cases I listed, the older brother reacts. In the first case, kills his younger brother. You know, they react wrongly, in most cases with jealousy, with hatred, often wanting to kill or sell into slavery. Only at the end of the book do we get Ephraim and Manasseh, where the younger brother gets the better brock and the older one doesn't react. But Moshe and Aaron is the first case where the younger brother gets elevated. And Aaron had every reason to be annoyed. Aaron's been with the people for decades and decades, looking after them, caring for them in the biggest suffering. Moshe's been raised in the palace. He's got nothing to do with the people. And all of a sudden, Moshe gets <laughs> put above. Moshe gets a job and he's left the country. Aaron's been stuck there in slavery or with the people in slavery. He has every right to say, Moshe Ward's is so you getting elevated above me. He has at least a right to feel grumbling, you would think. But Aaron doesn't feel any grumbling. Barah, he sees it. His heart feels joy. Why? Because Aaron understands. Aaron gets the idea that your success is not the opposite of mine. Aaron understands that if we're going to build a home of God, if we're going to build a nation, every one of us has a different role. Every single one of us has a different role. You, the heart, the liver, the spleen, the kidney, the muscles here, the bones here, every bit is critical. Each part of the body needs the other part to work, right? And this, this is the concept. Aaron's heart has a place for everyone. 
And that's what Rashi says, that because Varava Samach Belibai, what's going to happen as a result of that is that his heart, that's exactly how Rashi puts it, right? His heart is going to be the one. It doesn't say this point, Kuhuna, in the, in the sense that we're going to get later on of, of the offerings, but his heart is going to be able to hold the chosh and the breastplate. What did that breastplate do? That was where God spoke to the people through the lighting up of the different symbols on it. God speaks, but it's also a symbol of each of the tribes of the people. The tribes can only live together and build the home of God together. If there's one man who embodies all of them, who's willing to always give up of himself to bring peace to everybody else. The opposite of Ahasuerus. This is what real Kohuna is. This is what real bringing the home of God is. This heart that can contain the love of everybody. What's Hillel saying of us? Be like the Talmudim of Aaron. I have Shalom, loving peace. Roid of Shalom, pursuing peace. I have loving all the creations. And bringing them close to Torah, to God's will. That's the heart that can work. And this week's Sedra, so now what do we read when we enter, when we start to read Tetzava? Now we have an unbelievable insight into what's going on in the Sedra. Now we say like this. Apologies. Now we say like this. Tetzava begins with exactly these words. Tetzava Tell them they should bring these, this olive oil Right, so that we can have a light. What is the Neratomid, the light in the Mishkan? It's the light of the Shekhinah. Right? That's exactly what that's exactly what happens over here. The uh the Gemara Shabbos says, right, well, God needs a light in the menorah, right? We don't even need a light in the menorah, because you could have made windows, you could open the door, right? You only need you only need the, the use the Mishkan or the base and make this in the daytime, right? So what's going on? So the Gemara and Shabbos in Chof Beis on Beis in, in 22b says, no, it's an Aves as a testimony to all the world that the Shekhinah dwells here. What's going on? Because the Ne'er Maravi, the westernmost lamp, would light continuously. And you have this whole discussion. The Gemara in Yuma says that, uh, that when, when Shimon Atzadik, when you had a great Koyen, a great person, then the light would always burn continuously. And they'd have to come in the morning and extinguish it before they relit. But then after Shimon Atzadik dies, after that great Kohen God will dies, it depends on the individual Kohen. In other words, whether the Shekhinah, whether God's presence dwells there in full, depends on the individual, right? In fact, there's an incredible, so let's understand the implication of it. It's not an institution. The menorah doesn't light by itself. It depends on the Kohen, the individual who's meant to express the unifying heart of the entire nation. But that means that it's up to an individual. Just see, this is an incredible thing. We normally think Kohenim are just like, okay, you know, you could have an artificial intelligence or a robot. So it's a Kohen. Why? Because they didn't serve the, the Hegel Azar or whatever it did, the golden calf. Fine. But essentially, they're just like any other vessel in, in the Mishkan in the base of Mikdash. Fair enough on one level. But actually on another level, the Shekhinah will dwell with the light, depending on who they are. In other words, the human themselves as them are part of what's going to bring Hashem's presence. It's Aharon as Aharon. Long before he's got the functional role of the offerings outside, Aharon as Aharon, what he stands for, a heart capable of loving everybody, of capable of, of the unity of seeing the greatness in each other. That's what brings Shekhinah. Without that, you don't have God's presence. That's what allows the menorah to shine and reveal God's presence in the world. And why do it have to be his descendants? Because a Kohen embodies the special traits of Aaron. In a sense, they keep him alive in the world, but only to the extent to which they really do, right? If they fail in their mission, then God's presence doesn't 
come to the same degree inside the Mishkan or inside what is called Ohel Moed, the tent where you encounter God. So let's sum up what we said so far and then I want to go a little further. So let's just look again. Command B'nai Sol, they should take the pure olive oil to bring up the permanent light, the light that symbolizes God's presence. How does God's presence come into the world? With us lighting it. But not anybody. But Ohel Moed has got to be in the tent where you're coming to meet God, where man and God meet. The Chutzah brought us outside the curtain, Asha'la'edus is on the testimony, Yarech Oso Aharon Uvanov. He doesn't say this particular point about Kainim. Aharon and his sons, they may not have been chosen to be Kainim at this phase, but it's not about Kuhuna, the institution, although we will use that word in the Sedra soon. But at the moment, it's Aharon as Aharon. Aharon is the one who can see his brother getting greatness and just rejoice. That's the one who has to bring it. And any, anyone who can, can emerge from that and continue Aaron into the world, they are the ones who must light it from evening to morning. And that's only referring to the light when, when Hashem's presence is there. It's Aharon Ivanov, right? Nothing to do with Kuna. Then we say, bring them close from amongst the Bnei as a verb. Right? Not yet to announce they, they should do it. They should serve. And we should now put special clothes, the clothing that shows they are there to unify the nation, to embody the love of the whole nation, and to bring Hashem's presence, to bring the nation in their own heart together to meet God. And that's in fact every Yom Kippur. The children of Aaron will walk in there representing the whole nation, carrying the whole, a heart large enough to contain the whole people, can come in a single body, bring the unity of the people to Hashem and bring, and in that meeting, bring Hashem's presence into the world. And then we go through all the details of it. it, it we don't have so long to go talk through some of the details, I'm not going to do it right now. But only when that's all done, then we talk about the whole inauguration, how we're going to bring them there, the various offerings and so on. And the final thing we say is, is that Osisum is Bech Miktak There should be an altar of incense. And we describe exactly how it should be. And what should happen? And when Aaron goes and lights every day the menorah, when he goes to do the, this, the menorah lighting, then he should also bring the incense together in every generation, right? And what's the incense offering? And the Medrash Tan Chuma tells us, it gives us an analogy, a very beautiful analogy. It says that, that there's, and, and this, uh, this, uh, this, this is how, how Rav Weinberg's insight puts together the entire Sedra so beautifully. It says that, uh, talks about a, a, a king and his, he loved a woman and they, they, she was going to be his queen and then they fell out and, and they thought one day that, and all the neighbors thought that's it, their marriage is over and what a shame. And then one day they smell the perfumes and they say, oh, they've come back together again. So too, after the golden calf, right? God and Israel were, look like they're going to be separate. And then we light the incense. And every day we light the incense. It's like the relationship has come back. Who can light the incense? Who can ignite the relationship of the nation and God? The person who can hold in his heart the whole of the Jewish people. The person who's love and non-jealousy, that's Aharon. And what it means therefore to be a Kohen nowadays is exactly that. It means to be a continuation of Aharon. It actually is the source through which Aaron still remains alive in the world. Aaron will not die if his descendants, if they can bring the unity to the people. And what this, so let's sum up everything that we said over here. Last week, we spoke about the vessels that are going to house the presence of God, that are going to build a mishkan, that are going to build a home for God's presence. This week, it's how do we switch the electricity on? And the answer is there's got to be a menorah, a light that shows, we light the lighter, we light the divine spark, as if in each one of us, we're lighting a divine spark. But if the nation is unified around that mission, 
that we are one, we love one another, we're not jealous of one another, we need each other's success, we need the differences within the nation so that we all beat together to a single heart that is embodied in Aharon, then Aharon himself can walk in there and light that menorah, light that and say, God, our heart is unified around lighting your presence. And if Aaron really has that joy with everybody, if that works, then that light will stay lit night to day, through dark times, through good times, every single day it will just stay completely lit. And then Aaron puts on these clothing that symbolizes the unity of the nation, all the different elements that go into it. The 12 tribes all on his breastplate through which God's voice can speak to the people. And finally, the Mizbech HaGetorah is saying there's passion, there's love, there's almost, there's the equivalent of, of more than what romance is in the male-female is the love of the unified nation with you, God. And so this now becomes an Ahel Moed. God's presence comes, not just as a home where it happens to be there and if you're deserving, you can walk in. It only comes in the context of the man-God relationship. God's presence is not an abstract entity in the world. It comes with a unified nation dedicated to God. And the unity of the nation comes through Aharon. And so that's what the, that's what's going on in this week. And that's why the sedras are structured the way they are. And that's why even if this was before the golden calf, or even if, if it's after the golden calf, but this was already, that was going to happen. Later, Aaron's going to take on all the jobs inside this Mishkan or, or, or Beis HaMikdash is going to take on all the work as well. But that's the idea. And even if you disagree with the principle, one thing is absolutely clear. This week, we focus first on Aaron and his sons. And we focus first on these jobs, which are the jobs of Ashras, Ashrina, how to bring God's presence into the world. And that means that nowadays when we don't yet have this home of God, this tent of meeting alive again in the world, our job, if we want to rebuild it, is to learn to really see the good in one another, to really just want, I have shalom to love peace, right? shalom pursue peace. I have a sabriya to love everyone. On Makarva and Latoya, try to bring them closer to Hashem. And together by through unity and only through that type of unity where we are dedicated to that relationship with God do we have the chance to bring his home back again. And that's why the minute the sin has on baseless hatred, he, his presence can't, it, it, it's gone. The temple's gone. We think, oh, it's a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's a reality. If the people aren't one, then the people cannot be in a relationship with God. And if they can't be in a relationship with God, then there is no tent of meeting. God's presence can't exist without the people in a relationship with him the physical structure must just crumble. And the people cannot be in the relationship with God if they aren't unified and unified around the collective dream of bringing the light of God into the world. And so this becomes such a beautiful insight into the whole nature of the way God's presence can, can go. And hopefully this will be an introduction that as you study further, you'll see, maybe you'll read some sources on like Rav Shemshofar Hirsch and others who can then talk you through the symbolism of each different item in there. But Be'ez HaShem, hopefully that's been enough for us to at least give a, a basic introduction um, and everyone should have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos and hopefully be lit up by these beautiful messages after Tzavah. I hope I've been able to convey them um, in a way that does justice.